Hey everybody, welcome again to uh, day two of the Meet to Match and Indie Game Business Summer Edition 2020. Uh, I have with me today Christopher Kosolke, who is the CEO of Handy Games, which is a division of THQ Nordic, right? Exactly. Did I get that good? Uh, yep. And, and so we wanted to sit down and, and just literally have a chat about what publishers want to see, you know, what are they looking for when you approach them with your game? So first off, uh, if you could just tell the folks, Christopher, you know, walk us through, you know, handy games and then the acquisition and then like what you actually do, you know, these days. What I do, uh, babysitting at the end of the day, it's really <laughs> like handy games is over 20 years old. So we started back as, as the name already says more on the handy stuff. So mobile gaming back in the days, uh, and then evolved step by step from mobile game developer and publisher, uh, to PC console, even VR. So we are normally into every new kind of, uh, platforms out there, even on, on streaming nowadays. And we start publishing some years ago and we were acquired, I think over two years now or nearly two years from THQ. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> so that was me. So two years ago, we were acquired by THQ Nordic then uh, as they were looking for someone who's taking care about uh, small and mid-sized studios and small and mid-sized projects. And what we also do is the mobile uh, yeah, gaming in the THQ Nordic division there. So at the end of the day, I, we are developing games for 20 years. We are publishing them for 20 years, our own titles. We start distribution and we start now publishing as well. So we have all kinds of games around the globe and also working with studios from Mexico to Los Angeles to Copenhagen to Hungary, so France, Spain, whatever. And I think we have quite some nice portfolio out there, uh, including, for example, through Darks of Times, which is quite a, I would say, hardcore kind of game, because that was the first game that even had Swaviska in the, in the title itself, and that was allowed in Germany officially uh, for on the 12th. So it, it's really something, I would say, we have no problem going really into the hardcore stuff that normally not every publisher is signing. So when a developer comes to you with a game, what are the most basic things that you know? These, these are the things that I have to know before we can even start looking at it. So what are the very basics that, that they need to give to you? I, I think we, we see it in the moment. Like, for example, I, I was part there in the meet to match as well and most of the guys that don't even write a single thing about the game it's really crazy it's like yeah i want to have half an hour pitching a game it's like yeah which game just give me some more info give me exactly some some pictures a small pitch up front because you want to have half an hour from a publisher give them a chance to check out if it's really worth it or if it even fit to the publisher. I think that's really something you want to have an answer from us. So please give us a chance to check out your title, uh, even already in the first email or in the first contacts, because time is really limited nowadays. And especially with a 
event like for example now it, it's not like a live event I, i'm not sitting in san francisco for for the event now it's it's really like i'm sitting on the other side of the planet so please bear that in mind so four o'clock in the morning it's not really a time uh, for me to to check out pictures so but at the end of the day what we want to see is always something from the game itself so of course some kind of pitch deck please please some videos i think videos are always the best thing to to showcase a game and that's very simple in, include that for example in the meet to match system no matter if it's in your uh yeah in your email that keeps two or three uh, clicks further like for example i like always checking out if someone have something on their site where you can even check out something but most of them they don't even have a website in there so it's really a little bit strange give, give us a chance to see something so let's i'm gonna like go off the beaten path first thing here you you brought up a good point in the fact that we're not all sitting in san francisco right now and running from one hall to the other and you know it, these digital events have become second nature to me because this is you know, like our sixth one that we've done since early 2019 but how has the lack of live events and the rise of digital events changed what you do so normally it changed heavily because normally there is no kind of speed dating really possible because normally you see the other titles. What I totally miss is running around on events, for example, and see something like, for example, in the indie corner where you check out games, for example, and just have half an hour and you drop by, check out something on some booth there. Or even if you're outside smoking, drinking, whatever, and you just have a time and someone is really cool and, and try to pitch a game just in the middle of five minutes relaxing or drinking a beer in the evening, that's totally missing. So it's really like if you don't contact a publisher nowadays, uh, that's impossible to, for us even to find all the great titles. So you really need to contact the, the publisher nowadays and really check out what the publishers are looking for like for example it doesn't make sense for us to we don't look for free-to-play games for example so if you pitch me a free-to-play game that will not work out but at the end of the day it's really like i think pitching is totally normal nowadays we have even more time to check out the games before we even have the first call and that means you need to be prepared as a developer in in your request for a meeting way more like for example show me a two minute trailer of your video or a two minute uh play uh, through of your title with some small i would say yeah elevator pitch of your game so what is it about what is your game tell me what it is and please don't just use it's like this this and that game and we just combine that i i cannot hear that anymore just really give us something what is so unique that it fits to us and then on the next step it's really about let us let us talk more deeply on who's really behind there and stuff like that but in the beginning really convince us for yeah give us the the information that we need in the in the beginning that's really most important 
That I'm laughing because we all we, we tell developers a lot of times is, is when you're building that elevator pitch, tell the publisher it's this meets this with a change, and now you're telling me that you don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> no, because because if you just copy a copy and copy, it will not be what the game is about. It, it's really most important thing is give us some kind of video and tell us what kind of genre it is, because it will not be exactly like. Uh, the latest biggest top sellers it's normally it's your game just subscribe it as it it would be to your mother who is normally not a game give it to us really something very simple explain it to me it's like yes i can start with a role-playing game i can start with a role-playing game in medieval and i need to save the princess i totally get that without any problem so i don't need to say yeah uh, Let's do a jump and run, and yeah, that's Super Mario. Yeah, thanks. I, I like that. Explain it to you like you're explaining it to your mom, because that that sums it up as well. You know, and we always tell the developers, it's like if you can't explain it, you know, succinctly and clearly to a publisher, you can't sell it to a consumer because you don't know basically what you've got and, and what you're doing. So you have to have. Yeah, but, but that's really like that's the first contact stuff it's really like give us some some small info about the game perhaps some some artwork or how the game will look like how the character will look like uh very important what business model or what platforms uh you target at because that's really it can be a killer it can be like yeah that's that's fitting together or but at the end of the day it's really at the end of the day about a, a simple uh, YouTube link. I really say that it's it's nothing is top secret. Even if it's on on YouTube, just put it on not listed and send it to the publisher that they have a chance to really check out what the game is about. And that doesn't have to be please thirty minutes. It's really like give us the just the vision of the game so that we are interested. It's really like uh, get us hooked. It's really like that. Very simple, because we are getting contacted by so many developers around the globe in so many different stages where you say, okay, that's not what we want. It's like too early, perhaps too late as well. So, but so, show I mean, me what it is. That's a good point. So what is, and, you know, disclaimer to those of those out there listening, there are hundreds of publishers in the world. All of them have different preferences for everything from platform to budget to when they look at things, whether or not it's already been early accessed, just tons of variation. But, you know, in your case, what is that sweet spot in terms of when they need to pitch to you and it's not too early or it's not too late? For uh, normally what we want to see is some kind of vertical slice of the game so that we know exactly that's the core game play that's how it should look like for some it's some kind of small demo that they are showcasing for some it's really about that's mechanics it doesn't have to be the final graphics for example so like we're getting pitched for example from several developers uh, a title and they say yeah they they really squeezed out everything out of whatever unity uh, store and really fit in every kind of uh, graphics that they don't own, but then write it down. It's like, okay, the graphics are not final. It should be that kind of style. We're a developer on our own. We know exactly that a demo or a vertical slice doesn't have to be really hardcore polished. 
but give us something, okay, how it should look like at the end of the day. So really, that's for us. Give us a vertical slice, no matter if it's five minutes. If it's really polished, five minutes can be really fine. And uh, we, we get partly vertical slice where you say, hey, dude, that's already the first two levels or something out of that, of the whole title. And that's really like, wow, dude, that's great. It's It's really something there. So what is one thing that developers don't send that often that you would encourage more of them to do when they're when they're sending you that pitch we get all kind of pitches so uh i can and can say the most successful pitches are really about they they can already talk within two minutes and really explain the game how how what kind of scope it will be what platforms it will be, and that can be in a, in a small video, that can be in an email. Uh, we have on our website on handy-games.com, uh, uh, we have the information what we are looking for. So we have already what kind of stuff do you require even from a publisher? So do you need funding for the game, for example? Do you want marketing from us do you want pr support from us do you want q a do you want localization do you need support in whatever music art porting because most of the guys who already have for example the latest console uh coming up i think most of the indies don't have so normally if you want to reach those audience as well just tell it the publisher up front what you want and if you want funding uh for example handy games doesn't fund or doesn't invest into uh, a game developer studio, but we only really invest into the game itself. So that need to be sure. And other publishers do it differently. They want to have a share of your company and stuff like that. So there are tons of different possibilities out there. So really the same thing as we do, as we check out the game, check out the publisher who really fits to your title and normally this is a list a short list as you say there are tons of publishers around the globe and some publishers only invest in specific regions like for example there are publishers or guys that even they don't really invest anything at all into the game or into into the studio and then there are some guys who are going up to whatever 250k 500k 1 million 2.5 million then it's getting expensive and then normally for the indie side that's not normal so normally the smaller studios are really targeting to up to perhaps 2.5 million or something like that and then there are a lot of publishers that don't do that anymore so it's really like give us the the info and we can really fill that out and what can be also interesting is okay this is the target price that we want to sell our game for so then you can already count a little bit how many units do you need to sell or how many platforms do you need to really recover that. And you should really think about that upfront before talking to a publisher. Uh, I checked out in the, in the chat before how they were pitching and what challenges they had in the past and if they are pitching to an investor, if they are pitching to, to a publisher and that those are totally different things. Yes, they are. Yes. So really think about who you're pitching the game to and then be, be keen and really be brave and, and showcase the game. So you need to have 
someone within the team that really can write an email and say, oh, yeah, let's let's meet or let's discuss. And if you have a great uh, email, normally every publisher will write back uh, good feedback. So that's quite easy. No, well, uh, they won't write good feedback. I can tell you that from being on the pitching side. There's there's like a percentage that do, but a lot of times you're just basically throwing, you know, your emails into into a well. But I mean, that comes with the fact that there's so many different kinds of publishers too. Some of them are good. No, about I think I think if if the if the pitch is great, uh, you will get an answer from a lot of publishers, even if they are not fitting to their portfolio. They might tell you to whom you might or can perhaps pitch your title to. So even the publishers are talking to each other. It's not like only developers are talking to each other. Even publishers do that. So it's really like we had the discussion quite often. It's easier normally on real events. Like you, you see those guys on the event and tell them, okay, dude, uh, whatever, from Mixed Vision, from uh, Raw Fury, perhaps this title is something for you. And they will tell you the same thing. It's like, it, it's a small world, I would say, no matter if you're a publisher or if you're a developer there. So don't be afraid, be open-minded and, and tell what you need. And then you can really get some, some feedback. But it really depends on the pitch itself. If you put effort into the pitch, you will get a, a nice feedback. So from us, normally, it really depends after such events. Like here, we normally get a lot of pitches. So we normally need around one to two weeks to get feedback to the developers then. So have you gotten more pitches or less pitches this year versus other years when we don't have these, these live events anymore? The quantity went up quite heavily. Because it's now everything is in a it's a global event nowadays. It's the local events have less impact because normally you meet those guys. So for example, if you're sitting whatever on a small event like with 100 guys who really talk to everyone at the end of the day, if if you're at GDC you cannot talk to everyone because that's not possible. So everyone can pitch nowadays. It, it's quite easy to pitch the game. So as, as mentioned, it, it's very simple to just write down what you need and you will get an info there. It's, I wouldn't say it's really more. The quality went a little bit down in my opinion cause it's less feedback. Cause on a real event, you will get a feedback straight in the face from a lot of publishers. Uh, that's not possible on the online side all the time. So, cause you don't have the possibility to do so. Because if, if I meet you at the beer and tell you, dude, that was not good, man. It's like this, this, and that is, that's easier to tell them than over email. That's really okay. <laughs> and I will say that's also a very German thing too. That's why I love my, my meetings with Germans. I, I know in five minutes whether or not we need to be there and, and discussing anything else or not because you're like me. It's like, we're blunt. It's like, this is not, where you need to be, you need to go talk to this company or this company. Um, but it is, and, and I think it goes along with the fact that because that barrier of entry has been dropped, you don't have to spend five, ten thousand dollars to go to GDC in San Francisco anymore to pitch your game. Obviously, we've got more people pitching, but at, to a developer, that's all the more reason why you need to invest more time in 
your pitch because yes. you're seeing more and, and you have to weed through them. So no, uh, the biggest challenge, even for not only for publishers, but also for developers and everyone else attending such events is that they're doing it during whatever uh, working time or now my spare time. So I'm, I'm talking to you now uh, from Germany. That, that means normally I wouldn't be in the office. I'm at home. Normally I would be with my kids. So that's not a good time normally to discuss a lot of stuff. And that's what you really need to keep in mind. It's really about uh, if I would be at GDC, I would loving to hear a lot of stuff because we are all in the same time period. If we are all at Gamescom, we can have a beer on the THQ Nordic booth because that's where we are quite well known for that and good food. And it's yeah. easy to talk to instead of we are meeting whatever now virtually. I cannot really look in your eyes. I cannot see if you're totally nervous and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't normally I talk to one guy instead of the whole team that is pitching in front of me. And you see the energy you, you don't see, for example, the laptop coming up or the mobile phone and they show me everything. That's different nowadays. It's really like, just think about that when you pitch a game. It's like, that's a really hardcore thing on those events. And that's, they have way too many events in the moment around the globe. So, cause everyone is now online. It's crazy. That is, now obviously I'm a big proponent of, of online events. I don't think, you know, it'll ever fully replace the live events because that what you just talked about is exactly what I miss from the live events. I don't miss running back and forth across the street in San Francisco, you know, fighting my no, way. No one the likes all the, all the piss street and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> no one missing the very expensive beers and cocktails. No, but it's, it's really about talking with the developers that you normally don't see the whole years and talking about how to get better and stuff like that. And that's not happening, whatever. Now here on the discussion that that's not really possible. And that's what we really miss now. And I hope it's coming back. It will eventually. It's just a matter of when, but you know, it's that you and I have been doing this for a very, very long time. And it's easier for, people like us to get cynical and jaded and it's like, Oh God, here we go again. But when you go to these events, that's why I like going to, you know, the bigger events or even the smaller ones too. You, you really get to see in person that energy that the team has and they are so excited, you know, no, even what, what I really miss is that, Normally, for example, when we signed or when we found a title like Chicken Police, for example, an awesome title from Hungary, and I saw them on the event on Reboot. And they had a small booth there. Uh, the event is really small. So it's like, come on, I think perhaps 15 small developers showcasing their titles. And I was there and it was like, yeah, show me the game. And I didn't know what, who's really playing the game there. And you saw how he was pitching the title to anyone who was coming by. And exactly that's what I'm missing. It's really about uh, yeah, feeling the energy, feeling or checking out titles that were not even pitched to us. And mm -hmm. we're getting the same pitches as before. As you mentioned before, it was like, do you get more pitches? I think we get the same pitches. The only thing is we don't see the 
titles nowadays at such events like for example if you're running around as you said from one meeting to another and you have half an hour time you're normally checking out some titles on the show floor and that's totally missing and that's not possible to really i i, I attended so many events in the last couple of months and no one really had done something that worked out for the developers that they were showcasing really the games and you can just go through and talk to them that's really missing so i i hope we can get that somehow sooner or later because in normal meetings that's fine you can agree to a meeting and stuff like that that's standard stuff indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all their speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. But, but the the randomness to some extent, and, and you do, you see things that on, on the floor when you're walking by that you wouldn't normally see. And so there, there absolutely is an upside to all of this. So the beyond the game, when you're, you know, Junie was on from Sedesco earlier and she was talking about, you know, a little glimpse into what happens after the pitch at, at the publisher side. Yeah, what, I saw that. What, what do you look for in the team? You know, what's important to you that you see coming from from them, or you know, how they're set up? You know, what are, what are the important components of the company behind the game? So for us, it's always important that they understand that shipping a game is a it's long term. It's it's not a small sprint. It's really a marathon to really ship a title on not only one platform but perhaps on several platforms and if the team is capable of really having the positions that you need within a game developer so there need to be coders there need to be artists there need to be a game designer i would love to see way more business guys because those are normally missing all the time and then do they have, for example, other experiences as well? Did they already ship the product, even if it's a small indie product back in university or something like that, or in their spare time, then they had already some experience. So give us a chance to check out how the company is structured or how the team is structured, what their experiences are. But at the end of the day, be very frank and, and honest with us if, if you still miss something. Because at the end of the day, if you miss something, we need to still find someone. And if you have someone, do you need money for that to hire those guys? And I think that's really important, especially as a publisher, is like, how well are you connected and can you fill the gaps? Is it just money that is missing so we can give you the money? You find that person, but at the end of the day, it's, it's your studio. It's not my studio. I don't want to... 
really own a studio there around the globe. For me, it's about I want to get the title over the finish line. And that's that trust I need to have within a game. So every producer here need to be sure that you are a developer or a developer studio that can really ship the product over the finish line. Because over means not we just have a gold master like in the old days there. There's a gold master. Now now go ship it. Nowadays, it's really about what is the, the next step? Because for us, it's important to ship a product not only on one single platform. We have a release. Yesterday, we released Bitlinks. It was coming out first on Stadia. And this new studio, Massive Mini Team from, from Cologne, they shipped it now on four different platforms simultaneously. So they shipped it on PC, they shipped it on PS4, they shipped it on Xbox, and they shipped it on Nintendo Switch. Normally, as I call it all the time, that's Champions League If for a developer, really shipping a title simultaneously on one day. And that's what we can assist you with, that we even pay you a lot of money that you get it over the finish line, but then perhaps ship it simultaneously. Uh, but that's really like, that's what in a partnership, because I always say it's like like a family. You, you have a partnership with the hopefully good publisher and the developer. Uh, we want to have a successful title at the end of the day. And if you ship a successful title, we normally want to work with the developer on the long run. So then you know each other. It's like the same thing in a partnership. It's the same thing. You really don't want to have another and another and another one and start again and again. So for us, it's really about working with those guys on the long run. So we got a question from YouTube. Uh, Christopher says, should we bring up some of our experience in non-game backgrounds? For instance, yes, of course. If, what? Of no. course. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me let me fit because we're we're doing this as a podcast, so not everybody's going to be watching us. Oh, okay, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or it will be a podcast, you know, in a couple of weeks, as soon as Indy and I catch up on sleep. Uh, it says, for instance, I was creative director at the American Marketing Association chapter. Should I talk about those projects I led? Of course. So the funniest thing is really like. Uh, Back in the days, no one had any degree or a long history in gaming when we joined in, whatever, 25 years ago in gaming. It was everyone was coming from another non-gaming background or made the money in the non-gaming background. So that that was rare. But of course, if you're a creative director, I, I want to hear that. So for me, it's, of course, very important. And the same thing in programming, not everyone need to be uh, or coming from the gaming background there. So perhaps you already did something in AI or whatever, blockchain and stuff like that. So yes, but be be honest with the with the publisher who invests in normally into the game itself. And if you are or had a different kind of background, why not? Tell us that and what it brings value into the team, for example, because that might be interesting. For example, some creative guys had perhaps some nice corporations done in the past with, for example, some superstars back in the days. And perhaps you can use that later on within the game or in a creative process. So, and, and it goes along as well with, you know, what you said about, even if it's, even if it's a, 
a game jam game. There is such a difference between a studio who got a game to 90% and they can, I guess they don't really hold up a CD anymore with gold on it, but you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And the ones that have launched it, it's that extra 10% that always makes the, the most difference. And so the, the, the 10% is worth the 90% before. Yes. So it's exactly. the hardest thing at all. It's so simple to have a vertical slice. And that's why we even had on our website uh, an idea is worth nothing because mm -hmm. we get normally in the past it was always like yeah i have an idea i want to mix this and that it's always a yeah nice and <laughs> that's that's just a small part of it you need the team behind to get the idea to life and you need to to have the idea bring it to whatever paper bring it to something and explain it to someone else because if you have an idea, I'm not investing into ideas. I'm investing really into a game that you have the vision and you need to tell us normally about what is it. And we are not developing games for our own. At the end of the day, we are developing games for a market out there. So we really check out which producer, for example, fits way better to you because some titles I don't like at all. So I'm not a producer of the games, but it's really like, okay, guys, uh, I'm too old for that kind of genre because it's way too fast. It's like, holy man, that's not for me. But at the end of the day, there is a market out there. And if there's a market out there and an audience out there uh, and that we can reach, of course, we are interested. So I'm the same way. I still don't understand idle games. I don't. I can't understand playing a game that you don't play. Call me in. Call me in. It's it's like, but we have producers that can even do that. So and and that's the important thing. It's really like, tell us what you need from us. What the game is about. And if you pitch that, we normally have already someone in mind here. Like for example, we have with one hand clapping uh, a, a game from an LA studio. Very young talented uh studio there but they're students and they came up with a crazy idea had an awesome uh demo available and now we launched it and relaunched it completely with way better graphics and stuff like that exclusive as an early access on stadia and our producer is a musician so it, it's really something that if if i would do that and i'm i'm singing a game and and using my voice to navigate in the game i think i'm totally the wrong guy for that but if we fit to that it's like yeah that, that's exactly the right guy for that and that can leverage the whole game up to the next level and be creative really pitch the title to the publisher that is crazy enough to really believe in your title and be creative and innovative. Because currently, I really miss that from a lot of guys. It's always, as I said in the beginning, it's like we have a title that is exactly this and that, and we're mixing it together, and that's a new title. That's not really cool. It's like I, I like cool new ideas, like, okay, give me something fresh. It's like we, we discovered not that much lately that is really totally unique, something where someone really get, as I, as I call, big balls that really go have the nerve, give us, show us something new, something fresh. And that is really something. And for us, one of the most important thing is always about we need to tell a story. And what is your story about the game? What is the story about you as a studio? Why are you developing that? Like, for example, Endling. 
it's really about extinction. It's about environmental uh, issues within our current world. It's really something that's a story that you can, as a publisher, really use. The same thing like like whatever our other titles, like Chicken Police, for example. That's totally crazy. That's pure art. If you check that out, it's like you have the you're taking photos of real actors and taking photos of real animals, mix them together, make a noir game out of that, use total voiceover on a fucking adventure game that has so much voice actors behind there. But that's really what we like. It's something that is unique. You see that. And that's what we like as a publisher. It's really something, tell us your story. And if you don't have a story, really think about that. Because you need to tell a story to the press you need to tell a story to any investor out there. You need to tell a story to your customers at the end of the day. And if you don't have that, it's really a hard shot because uh, finding a story around you, that's really hard. So you've mentioned Stadia a couple of times and voice games. So yep. obviously Stadia has had a rocky start initially. It's it's getting a little more traction. How, what, obviously you are behind it in some way, shape or form, or you wouldn't be publishing games on that platform. But where do you see, you know, platforms like that and, you know, the voice activated games, that's a whole new world that's popped up in the last couple of years. And if you think about how many people have a, you know, Google home or an Alexa device, what are your thoughts, you know, other than we're trying it for on the Stadia and voice activated games in general? I, th I think for us, Stadia is just another platform, to be honest. So even PlayStation 5, the new Xbox, whatever, will be a new platform at the end of the day. So for us, that's always nice. As a publisher, we have a way better leverage or knowledge of the market, what comes next. And there will be other platforms out there as well. So small developers uh, will have it really hard to work with those new platforms. And that's what a publisher is for, to see a game, combine it with the platforms out there and say, okay, where can we fit in perhaps that title as well. And thanks to COVID, for example, everyone has a microphone. And that's funny. It's, it's really like that. Everyone has now even a camera on their computer because for work and for working at home, for homeschooling, whatever, you have a camera. It's crazy. It's like if we didn't have that, so we were lucky. Now we have games that are using that. And really think a little bit more about what can be cool in, in the future as well and which platforms come up. So streaming is one thing. Cloud gaming is another thing that comes up again. VR, I, I cannot hear PC is that. So I, I heard that 25 years ago, there will be no PC gaming at all. And I hear that all the time and I can tell you PC gaming is still there and I'm, I'm producing PC games. So and I'm, I'm quite sure consoles will not be that and VR will also not be that because there will come up some new stuff. So it's really like mobile games. I hear a lot of guys saying, yeah, only mobile games that work are free to play games. We, we don't do free to play games anymore. We even do premium games on the mobile platform. So really think about 
what kind of titles you're releasing. For us, it's important to think about cross-platform. So really releasing a title on as many platforms as possible. That's also good for any developer out there to really spread the risk. Because what is if the new PlayStation is not working? What comes up when Stadia is not working nowadays? Or if VR is not getting the new hot shit out there? It's really about what is the next thing and be on as many platforms as possible to limit the risk and, and maximize the profits at the end of the day. And that's what a publisher normally is for. It's really about finding the perfect platform for your title, for your idea, for your story, and then go for it. So it's not about, I'm mentioning Stadia that often, but it, it provides something for new creative products because uh, on other platforms, it's already, I would say, yeah, not only a red ocean. I always say mobile games nowadays, free to play is really crazy nowadays. It's like, a shark tank with nukes everywhere. So good luck with shark that. Shark lasers. That's the uh... yeah something like that. That's mobile free to play games. If you want to be in there, fine. I'm out there. So and there are different kind of models out there. And uh, don't say, for example, it's not only platforms. It's also business models. We see a lot of change in business models coming up. And no matter if it's on the console sides, you hear a lot of news on what perhaps comes up next on. Who's joining in the race? So Epic Store and stuff like that changed again a lot of things for developers and publishers as well. So we will see a lot of things happening in the next couple of, I would say, 24 months. And having a good publisher taking care about your baby is way better than trying to solve every issue and finding out all the information everywhere. So we've got two questions that basically ask the very same thing. You know, how can developers, especially ones that are new to the industry, protect themselves and protect their their games from bad, shady publishers? Talk with the other developers. I think that's always something important. Uh, another thing is really like check out how a publisher normally takes care about the developer or about the product itself. Is it their baby or is it just another title in a huge portfolio that they are throwing against the wall and hope it sticks? It's really about that. And normally check out the contracts and business models that they are offering. offering are they offering funding, for example, for the title itself? What they can they really invest into the title or how they are doing it at the end of the day and how long they are doing it? And then check out who is really developing the games and ask them. So as I mentioned, publishers are talking uh, with each other. And I'm quite sure developers can find out as well if, for example, a publisher is shady or not, or if they really try the best for the title. and not every game can be successful. So we, we see a lot of publishers around the globe, even the biggest ones, if they're coming up with some titles and they don't stick for whatever reason. It, it's, it's a hit-driven business at the end of the day. But on a publisher side, it's also important how many titles they have and how they are taking care about the titles in the long run. On the indie side, it's really important that it's normally not the huge boost in the beginning. It's it's really something that you sell a title for a really long time. 
And if a new platform comes in, like for example, whatever latest console games, your title is still fresh. So it has again the possibility to get really interesting. So perhaps if we invest in the new platform with our developers, this title can get a new total new start within a new platform. And then it's getting really interesting. So one from Cunia, Cunia Labs. I'm probably getting that wrong. Do publishers prefer self-launched versus retention monetization data when they're evaluating indie devs? And so we actually see this a lot, Christopher. I mean, developers that are trying to figure out whether or not they should try to get their own KPIs before talking to a publisher or should they let the publisher do it? You know, it's obviously- If, if a publisher asking for that, normally do the, the last thing on your own because then you don't need them anymore because if you find out the kbis you don't need them anymore because then it's a it's it's normal it's it's your title you checked out the kbis so why do you need a publisher then because if your kbi is working because then they will invest so that's why we for example don't do hyper casual games it's also like if someone else is is investing and they are coming to us, then it's like, yeah, those are my KPIs. It's like, no, we are in the free, uh, not in the free to play sector. We are in the premium sector, even on the mobile stuff. I I don't care really about retention. The game need to be fun. And what I I totally miss here on the question is, is the game fun? What is the story behind? I don't care about your soft launch, uh, ask retention, monetization stuff. Uh, it's like monetization, it's normally the job of a publisher to say, okay, normally you tell me what kind of price range you think you will, you want to distribute a title to your audience that I know exactly what price range I'm normally working with. So my price range normally on, on normal games on the PC and console side is really like between I would say 9.99, but that's really the minimum, up to normally 29.99, perhaps even 10 bucks more, because then that's the sweet spot for going to retail as well. So normally for retail, I want to have a title around 40 bucks, but for 40 bucks nowadays, indie games need to be really on top there. And we see that quite often that normally everything under 9.99, it's not interesting for us because for us, we, we put the same amount of effort on our side into a new title for a $39.99 title. The same thing like on a $9.99 title. I still have my Q&A normally sitting there. I have my submission guys sitting there releasing that on every platform. I have my marketing, my PR guys, my sales guys. It's always the same thing. So normally give us some kind of thinking about what, where you're coming or which price point you want to have. But at the end of the day, that's in the development. We have a lot of titles that we signed in the beginning for a totally different price point in mind. But then we invested more and more money into it. So the, the game time or the playing time went up heavily. Features went up heavily. And we said, come on, guys, it, it's not the price point we discussed, but normally let's go for a higher price point, or we say it the different way that we never did in the moment is going down with the price point because it's it's dangerous to start with a price point where you say, no, that's not worth it. Because at the end of the day, 
consumers need to be happy. If they're happy, they're giving you a nice thumbs up or no, we don't like that if it's too expensive. So we really need to check that out. So if someone is talking about that, they are normally talking about free to play stuff. We are out. So go to someone else. They, they can do that even on other stuff. But really, it's like if someone asking you for those KPIs, not we. And, and, I want to have a great game. At the end of the day, it's really about that. Our aim is to have a title that get an eight out of ten and above. That's what we're aiming for on the on the game side. And it can be an eight out of ten even on very cool smaller indie titles. That is really something where we say, yeah, awesome. But that's what we are targeting at. We are not that crazy saying, yeah, we I don't care about which rating out there. And the funny thing is, I don't care about Metacritics at all. Because Metacritics are totally bullshit nowadays. What is more important is really about what is the Steam rating, what is the Google Play rating at the end of the day from the consumer. And we see that every single day. It's like Metacritic, it's the old school stuff. That's yeah. what the old publishers were doing back in the days because they had nothing to, I would say, convince someone like, yeah, my investors, check out, we have so high Metacritics. It's like, yeah, that's nice, but that's not how we do our stuff. So a little bit different. So when you're looking at a developer or a game, how much emphasis, how important is it that they already have an existing community, you know, within Twitch or Instagram or Discord, you know, how much does that factor in when you're looking at, at the titles? Not at all. So for me, it's something like it's, it's nice to have. So we have game developers that already had quite a huge community or a lot of guys on Twitter, for example, some have them on Discord, some on Facebook. Uh, it really depends uh, if they have one. Some don't have a single guy behind that. And you see that on the, on the YouTube videos and stuff like that. That's our job normally to really boost eyeballs to the titles. Nowadays, it's really a shame because this year would be awesome. We, we booked so many shows around the globe. We would have been on Tokyo Games Show, on Gamescom, on whatever, showcasing our titles to the masses out there. That's normally the job of the publisher as well, to really show the game to every single outpost uh, or eyeballs out there everywhere. Christopher. Dude, we're, we're wrapping up you know, at the end, end of our time here. If, if anyone out there has you know, a final question, pop it in chat real quick. Um, it never fails. The minute I say that, somebody pops one in there. Um, <laughs> should I include all, this is from, from Renzo, uh, down, down in Peru. Hey, Renzo, should I include all of my expenses in my game when talking to a publisher? Salary is part of the investment, but what about hardware, office rent, internet, electricity, depreciation, etc.? It's quite simple. Do you want to survive or do you not want to survive? My aim is that you're going over the finish line. And if I put too less fuel into your car, it will not go over the finish line. And you will tell me, I still need more fuel. I still need more fuel. And that's not good. So really, we as a publisher really finance. I'm, I'm not finance you three or four products simultaneously. For me, it's really about the team that stands behind. And of course, part of that is also the office rent and the hardware and the software required to develop that game. That That's part of our job there to get it over the finish line. 
because only then I have a, a really good product at the end of the day. If you need to work whatever on, I'm developing a software uh, on, on my side project to finance the rest of the cost, that will not work really. It's like, it's a job for us to really get the title into the stores and make a profit out of that. So, sorry, I, I, I got a message in the midst of that. Um, Dan was telling me we do have a little bit more time if we need it. So the other question I wanted to touch on because we hear this in various different ways and I can bet what you're going to say, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How important is the font, is the art when they send you a demo? I think for us, most important thing is that we know how the final product should look like. So we can work with, for example, demo graphics in the, in the vertical slice, but then we need to know what will be the final look of a title. So it's really something, give us a chance to, to check it out. I don't need tons of different of artworks, uh, how it moot art and stuff like that, or stuff like that. No, we don't need that. Cause at the end of the day, if they are not coming into the title, we don't need it. It's, it's nice to have it, but it's not really like, uh, it's a must, no. So art is important. Art can be also music. So for example, most of the game developers are really missing one of the biggest art stuff within a game. It's music or good sound effects in the word slice or in the YouTube videos. It's really missing in so many pitches. It's really something, even if you are using your voice within the game, I know exactly, okay, it sounds better than nothing. Like for example, within a game. It's really something like that. It's like, it's not only the art on the, on the graphic side. That's what I want to say. And the same thing on writing, for example, and having some real cool stuff in there. So yeah, and that was Alvin's question, you know, how and when do you implement writers into the game? And we had a whole team of very experienced writers on in a session yesterday. The short answer to that Alvin is immediately yesterday. Don't wait, don't be one of these that goes to a publisher and say, here's my game, but we don't know. We don't have a, a story really wrapped around it yet. You need to implement good writing as soon as humanly possible. Of course. So for example, if you have an adventure game and writing is missing, that's not working. So, but I also already checked out some adventure games without writing at all. So yes, that's also possible, but then it's story. So you still need someone for that as well. You gotta have somebody to write a story, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So, and this is the last one we'll hit is, so if you still have questions, you know, you can go to the discord, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. Uh, Christopher's there. I'm there. The vast majority of our you know, speakers from the entire conference are, are there depending on the time of day where they are. Um, so we have an after session channel. You can hop in there, ask, ask more questions. Uh, Nightwolf says, do publishers look mainly at gameplay and genre as a priority over art? I think there is absolutely not a priority. It has to fit together because uh, a genre can be, as, as several guys said, specific genres are that, like for example, cool uh, point and click adventures. I, I couldn't hear that. Uh, same thing like 
RTSs are, are dead, for example. I heard that quite often in, in the past from other publishers. And no, there's not a single genre that uh, gameplay is important or in the vertical slice, it just have to fit. Uh, if you're talking about whatever, a, a crafting game, uh, then show me how the crafting works. So, and art is important always at the end of the day, because I need to see the vision that you're telling me uh, where the game should go to. And then pixel art, is it going to pixel art? Is it going to voxel art? Is it going to hardcore 3D stuff? Is it going to 2D? Give us something that really fits together. I think that's the most important thing is really like, how does it fit together? And that's what I said in, in, uh, yeah, some, some minutes before. It's really like, give me something that just feels cool. Give me, if it's five minutes, cool vertical slice of a game. Like for example, what we've done with, with a VR game is like we wanted to develop something like a God game. And when we developed Townsman VR, we, we had some kind of idea about we want to be and play God, because that is the first thing that you have in mind when you are having VR stuff in your hand. And no one really done that cool. So we, we played around with that. And we, yes, we mixed some, some kind of games like our own building up strategy genre, but it's not that cool like pressing a mouse or using your touch device. We really cracked stuff, for example. So we, we took uh, guys like in Dungeon Keeper or like, for example, in uh, Black versus White and stuff like that. It, it's really like in Black and White and it's really like it feels cool on VR. And that's what we want to have. Like, for example, we had that in Clouds and Sheep, the, the first simple vertical slice was I want to throw around a sheep on a on a on a green stuff and we really had only the idea about doing something funny with the sheep and then out of the out of the blue we just had the tail and we put it long and it, it rolled there and we wanted to throw it around and that was the vertical slice of the of a game and that makes everything funny so we all loved it was what sold us was really the sound. So the game designer that did the pitch there uh, back in the days, he was just sitting on the microphone and was Meh! and it was funny. Everyone in the room was totally loving like hell. And then everyone was sold like, yeah, we want to do that. And that's what I mean. It's like you don't need a, a professional sound in there. Just do it as, as you can do it on your whatever easy things. As we say, everyone has a microphone. And then just do it. It's very simple. Uh, I just pulled this up while you were talking because one of the things you don't know clothes and cheap. Come on. <laughs> one of the things that you know has has bothered me. I was like, what do you want to see remade? I want to see populous in VR. You know, I I, I want to you see. Check the Townsman VR. We are showcasing something very soon. I can tell you, and Townsman VR is really something you can do a lot of things. Like for example, you can grab the the cat and stuff like that. We we had, for example, when we released the the early access version, we had on day one as we released it, a lot of requests like, yeah, you can fish and there's a cat, but we cannot uh, feed the cat with the fish that we are uh, 
diving and hunting and putting there and they tried it like hell and the first thing that we done was really a small update like the cat can eat the fish that you can dive through and and hunt there and stuff like that is really awesome because that's exactly what you want to see is something that keeps reminded you on what is the game about what makes fun why do you want to see that it's really it's unique experience and that's exactly on all the other titles that we are developing or publishing as well. It's, it's something that sticks and that has like, like the story that everyone smiles back to the question about retention, stuff like that. I don't smile about retention. I'm happy if I make money out of that at the end of the day. But talking about retention, I don't care. It's like we're in the premium business normally. That means if a game is bored, I'm happy. If they're buying my next DLC because they are happy, I'm happy as well because we make more money together and stuff like that. So always when I'm talking with a lot of, I would say, mobile game developers in in the Shark Tank, it's if you say what you're talking about, what are you, what is your aim? And they always tells me about retention rates on day one, day seven, day fourteen, day thirteen, and how much they are getting in, what the user acquisition costs in that genre. It's like, are you crazy, man? It's like, uh, we're not talking about fun anymore. If the game really put your smile in the face or like in Through the Darkest of Times, that's hardcore. It's like we have so many players crying on the game because they always said, yeah, I cannot. Such games are not there before. It, like that really gives you a goosebump anymore. Everything is just colorful and just throw something around. And we come up with games that really gives you goosebumps. And that's something that is unique. And that's what we want to do. Something cool out there, something unique that you don't saw already 10,000 times. And that's not what we wanted. So basically, you're telling me that Townsman VR is my populace and Devil, what, what is it? Devils and Demons? Devils and Demons. My, my VR. Dungeon Keeper. I didn't say that, so, but check out Townsman VR, you will love it, I can tell you. So, and that is the very old early access version, but we had to rebuild it from scratch, and that's really something. Perhaps we will see something during Gamescom, let's say it that way. Maybe, possibly. <laughs> Maybe, I, I'm not Never talking know. about it. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, Look, um, it is it is the evening where you are. I'm going to let you you get back to the family and thank yeah. you for doing this. No problem at all. But really, be what what I really hope that the developers are not afraid about contacting uh, the publishers and really invest the same time that you invest into the game into finding the right partner. It's it's really something. It's it's a long term partnership. It, it's you want to work together for several years normally. So normally what we work with is normally two to three years minimum with a game developer. Working on one project that is coming out on a lot of different platforms and normally trust the publisher that they know what they are doing because it's not always that clear, especially when they are saying there is perhaps something new coming and perhaps uh, new business models are coming up or new platforms be quite open for that. and. That's really helping a lot. And talk to the publishers. They are not evil at all. And you need them at the end of the day because not only they have money, but they can bring you the eyeballs at the end of the day. Uh, Because I I said that before on other 
events, it's really like without a publisher, it's really hard to get that because you need to be in every kind of sector. And normally the indie studios, they cannot be the marketing guy, the press guy, uh, the customer support guy, the Q&A guy, getting it and talking to all the uh, platform owners out there. That's really a lot to do at the end of the day. And that's a partnership. It's like if we make money, you make money. It's quite simple there. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.